Hi, and welcome to episode 122 of No Crying in Baseball, the sorry, not sorry episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Potty Mouth, hi, are you okay? I am so glad to see you. I've had <laughs> one lonely week. I am still recovering from like the crappiest illness that I've had in years. So, But the I'm, cats kept, kept you company. Yeah, I, I was under a cat most of the week. <laughs> under a cat. Under the weather, under yeah, a cat. Exactly. Yeah. They kept me warm. They kept me, uh, I guess, comforted a little bit, but I'm really happy to be back here talking about baseball. But dear listeners, please forgive me if I'm even spacier than usual because I'm not <laughs> quite 100%. I don't even have a beer. I have this lovely hot toddy, which hopefully will do me well. Don't worry. There's Jameson's in it. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Hey, while you were sick with a cat on your chest, I was cross-training with basketball. I went to a women's basketball game at University of Maryland. Oh, And it was out. so much fun because they kind of rock. They're like number one in the Big Ten right now. And they were so much fun to watch. I just love badass women playing sports. Oh, that's fantastic. It was very cool. You know who else was cross-training with basketball? You weren't the only one. I wasn't the only one. My boyfriend, Christian Yelich, was cross-training at the NBA All-Star Weekend festivities. He was um, leapfrogged over, leapt over by Pat Connaughton. Connaughton? Can, I don't know. Sam, I don't, I don't watch pro Yeah, I basketball. saw the name, but I don't know how to yeah, say it. Yeah, of the, of the Milwaukee Bucks invited him down to the, to the All-Star festivities so he could leap over him. And he is six feet tall and a little in order to slam dunk a basketball. And it's pretty fun to watch. So you should look that up. On today's show, Murphy's Law and the Boston Red Sox. Mistakes were made apologies are not real apologies. Premeditated retaliation is now a thing. We have new boyfriends. Yay, a happy thing to talk about with the Oakland A's and the Cardinals. Shirtless Mets are our favorite Mets. More pay for minor leagues? Sort of. There's a new playoff proposal for 2022, which I kind of like, but most people don't. And a little story about true grit and girls playing baseball. All right. Usually the only Murphy I like being mentioned when I'm talking about the Red Sox is the Dropkick Murphys because they're a great Boston band, mm -hmm. Red Sox songs. But no, this time it's me feeling like I'm just caught in Murphy's Law. Is it shipping up to Boston? Yep. Yeah, I uh, knew it. Yeah. So I feel like I'm going to have to start playing that to make me feel a little bit better about the Red Sox. A couple of years ago when it was our, our second year of doing the show. The Red Sox won the World Series, and I felt like everything was so super cosmic, right? We had done the show for a year. I get to watch my team go to the World Series. I was in love with Alex Cora at that point. Thought he was the greatest thing to come to the Red Sox in forever. And to talk about, like, how much worse can things get from being on top of everything? So first, 2019 kind of sucked. They didn't make the playoffs, at least, you know, I had the Nationals and you and our, our fun at Nats Park to get me through that. But it was sad. And then all this shit recently with the fallout from, you know, the Houston problems that we're going to be talking about very soon, don't you worry, with Alex Cora being implicated in that. So he's out and I've got this in Cora We Trust t-shirt that I don't know what to do with. So I'm feeling bad about Cora. Then we lose Pookie, who's like my, was going to be my forever boyfriend for the Red Sox. And now I don't know what to do with that. And then on top of that, with the Pookie trade, they get Alex Verdugo. Boo. Yeah. And to get a little bit more into that, he's been implicated in um, being a, a witness at a scene where there was a sexual assault. And I'll explain it a little bit better, but I won't be able to go into enough detail because it would take forever. So I'm going to point all of y'all to a couple of articles that we will link. 
One is by Jessica Caroli, who I've got to give huge props to because she's out there making sure that this story stays in the news. And she keeps saying that she's just out there to ask questions and to make sure that people are answering these questions. She's not telling anybody what the the answer is yet, but she knows that there's enough evidence out there that people need to be looking into this, and especially the Red Sox, who apparently did not do their due diligence, although that's those are the words that Chaim Bloom exactly said, with getting uh, Alex Verdugo. So the deal with Verdugo is that in 2015, he was a minor league Dodger, right? And he and another minor leaguer were out partying, and there was an underage young woman who ended up being a runaway, and she got messed up with the partying and a couple of older women, but probably slightly over. I'm guessing that the other two women must have been in their low 20s or something yeah, like we that. Don't, we don't know. So they ended up in some motel room. This is all happening in Arizona, right? This, Yes. This was, I believe it was, in the Arizona spring training, right? I think so. And she got shit-faced. And so, and then something went down in the in the hotel room. It seems that what what's being accused because this case never went to court, but what's in the police report was that one of the other players did sexually assault her, and that is described in the police report. It says that there was this guy named Alex there. So Alex's name, his complete name isn't in the police report, but because of circumstances, it can pretty well be deduced that it was him. And given his recent reactions to this whole thing, it seems like he was in the room. But in the police report, he was in the bathroom with the two other women when the sexual assault happened. I have so many questions. So I don't, that's, yeah. So that that is just sort of out there. And that was even in the Boston Globe article that I think will link. So what is he doing in the bathroom with the two other women? But then when they came out and this 17-year-old who's basically passed out and had just been assaulted starts getting sick, I think she started throwing up or something like that, the two young women got angry with her and started assaulting her, like punching her, kicking her. And Apparently, this was recorded and put on Snapchat. So that's the part where Alex's involvement is not clear. Is he responsible for putting on Snapchat? What did he witness? He's denying. Well, actually, I can't say that. He's not denying it. He's not Not, denying it. Not clearly denying it. So we, we had actually read this article a while ago, and I had been wondering whether to talk about it here on the show because it was the only place that I'd seen it. And right. I couldn't find much corroborating stuff. There was, I think it was Sports Illustrated article that talked about the incident. And then there's a great athletic article about Frank, Nick Francona's whole role in this. And it's a very complicated thing when you get into Gabe Kapler's role and Nick Francona. But there wasn't anything else that was fingering Verdugo and and mentioning his name. And basically, the reason why is because he wasn't charged. And so there was never... And why wasn't he charged? This is important. He wasn't charged because the 17-year-old basically disappeared. Right. So there were no charges to press because she disappeared. He was not like found innocent. He There were just no charges to press because there was nobody to talk to... To witness against yeah. him. Yeah, thank you. That is exactly the situation. And and unfortunately, that's the situation with a lot of these uh, sexual assault instances that we talk about. But in this case, we're talking about a 17-year-old who obviously had serious problems, runaway. Um, he 
is quoted in the Boston Globe recently, not clearly denying it. I mean, he's obviously trying to get himself not guilty of this, but he didn't point blank say, I wasn't there. There's no, nobody is saying he definitely wasn't there. We have proof to where he was, things like that. He said that I was cleared of any wrongdoing. And I don't understand why no reporter has made a follow-up question on that, because who cleared him? I mean, if if MLB didn't investigate and if charges were dropped, how could you be cleared, right? right. I mean, he's not convicted, right? But he's not cleared. Um, he said also, that being said, I've learned from it. I've grown from it. So if you're innocent, what are you learning from? I mean, what? So clearly he was there because mm-hmm. he's referring to there was an incident that where I was and now I've learned from this and grown from it. Now I'm a different person than it, I was then when this thing happened and I was in the room. Yeah. 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 And and even worse, he's talking about how hard he's working now. He's a very hard worker, apparently. And so he's saying he's Look, giving shiny it. Thing. Yeah, I'm giving it 100 percent. And then he said, that's what I want to be known for, not something that happened several years back. Well, I'm sure the drunk 17 year old who was assaulted would like to remember other things oh instead. But there's this whole issue. Right. And yeah. and Chaim Bloom, and this is, you know, yay, new leadership for the Red Sox, said that he felt it was inappropriate to go into detail because this is all confidential, of course, but to trust that they did due diligence. Whereas this morning, another Globe reporter came out and said that there is at least one other team that did not entertain taking Verdugo exactly because of this situation. So I am more than disappointed with my Red Sox right now. I mean, I'm a lifelong Red Sox fan. I'm a third generation Red Sox fan. How do you deal with this? I guess I should talk to our friend Queer Fancy Stats about what the appropriate thing will be for me to do this season because I have to do something. This just really sucks. Although the one kind of fucked up silver lining is that Verdugo probably won't make opening day (laughs) because he has a stress fracture in his back, which apparently the Sox knew about beforehand, but it's just coming out now. So it's just one thing on top of another, Murphy's Law. And, you know, to to give it one more kick, I'm sure Jeter Downs, Downs, yeah, that's his name, Jeter Downs, the shortstop who came over in the deal. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I haven't heard anything bad about him. But to put a shortstop named Jeter in the Red Sox on top of everything else that I've been going through, <laughs> I just feel like, you know, the, the baseball gods are totally out to get me this year. The last piece that I'll try to get through quickly is they just signed Kevin Pillar to make up, I think, for this possible hole, or I think it was also like lefty-righty batter issues with uh, somebody to, to platoon in the outfield. And I had remembered Kevin Pillar from his homophobic slur, and I thought, oh, shit, here we go again. When he was with the Blue Jays. When he was with the Blue Jays. But I think that it shows a good exemplar for how to apologize, which is something that we are talking about a lot this week, about what makes a good apology, what doesn't count for a good apology. Because when he was suspended for just two days, which is not huge, but for making the slur, he forfeited that salary to PFLAG and the Toronto branch of You Can Play, which is uh, sports for LGBTQ kids. He worked with Billy Bean on the issue And he had a private meeting that was not publicized with 20 local LGBT people and their parents. It doesn't say kids and their parents, but that's the quote I got from the article. And and what, what made a difference to me is the quote for him where he said, I had to sit there and look at them all in the face and not only apologize, but try to explain to them why it happened. And that was hard to do, but it made me better off for it. 
So I'm hoping that, you know, not only can I forgive uh, Kevin Pillar, but that that little bit can be an example for other people who really need to apologize in a sincere way. I have some people who need to apologize in a sincere way. Should we talk about the Houston Astros? Because we can't not. Sure. I know. It's it's really getting annoying, don't you think? Yeah, it's really it's... like eating all of all of the oxygen in the in the baseball room right now. We have other things we want to talk about, but no, it's always the Astros. And this week it's always apologies. And remember, there are three parts to a real apology, especially a public one. Acknowledging the truth of what happened, taking responsibility for it. And then what are you going to do to move forward from there? What's going to happen next? What are the steps you're taking, right? And those things kind of happened in the Kevin Pillar example That's what it sounds like. that you gave, right? Listen to what happened with the Astros this week and let us know if you think these things happened. So spring training started and Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, promised that when spring training started, we would get the long-awaited apology from the Houston Astros. What we got was Jim Crane saying things like, I shouldn't be held responsible. Because I'm the boss, so I shouldn't be held responsible. Correct. I'm too far away from all this. Right. Right? It had no effect on the game. Okay. That's blatantly not true. Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve had like 90 seconds total between them to read the, gosh, I'm I'm sorry that this happened kind of, you know, publicist statement that came off as completely insincere at the time. And everybody said some version of, let's just move on. Well, I'm sorry, Astros, you don't get to pick when we move on. Nobody is satisfied with this. Since that press conference, a lot of individual interviews have happened with individual Astros, some more successful than others in how this all went, and a lot of players on other teams all of whom are some degree of angry, some of whom are going in ugly places, and some of whom are just really ticked that this unfairness and this insincere apology happened and and like just at the situation. So it's kind of a mess. Can we talk for a second about Carlos Correa? Oh, yeah. So he's actually my ex-boyfriend at this point, as is Jose Altuve. So y'all find out in a few minutes how we pick our boyfriends on this episode, on this uh, podcast. So last year I picked Carlos Correa and now I'm just crushed because he sounded like a flaming asshole. He just defended everything without admitting to really being guilty is what it what it came down to. In the beginning, it it was a little bit of I did wrong, but you've got to take care of my buddy Altuve because he was one of the guys who really didn't do the trash can thing, right? And then he kept talking. Right, that was the problem. So Cody Bellinger said some ridiculous things, okay? He was like, oh, no, they stole the World Series from us. Oh, this and that. I'm like, okay, Mr. MVP, you don't need to play tiny violins. You can be appalled at the injustice of it, but stop doing the oh, poor me. And Correa started getting, you know, yelling back at him about, you don't know the facts. You don't have any reading comprehension. You don't have and that. And that I'm sorry. That's not okay either. Yeah, he actually said, if you don't know the facts, you should shut the fuck up. Which, you know, I like that line, but it really wasn't an appropriate time or place to say it. And then thankfully, he was talking to Ken Rosenthal at the time. And Ken Rosenthal said, okay, well, 
you know, you're saying that cheating only happened in 2017 and you're holding up the MLB report, which also says y'all cheated in 2018. And he's like, oh, well, oh, well, no, that was there were no trash cans. And so he's not I mean, he started going downhill very quickly. And these guys need to just stop talking. It's just getting worse. Now, I will say Jose Altuve did something that I kind of appreciate. You know, Correa is like trying to defend him Mm -hmm. and other people are asking him directly, asking Altuve directly, did you cheat? Because I think they want to find somebody who didn't cheat. And he's not saying that. He's saying, basically, I'm part of this team. And if we are something, we are all something. Because he also knows he didn't do anything to stop it. So he may not have been a guy who used that. But he also knows he didn't try to stop other people from using it. So he's like, he doesn't want to split hairs. Right. He's like, I'm part of this team. We were found guilty of cheating. We're all guilty. Which makes me feel worse for him that Correa is trying to excuse him so bad. I mean, I guess this is just a different approach. But the whole thing with the tattoo that he didn't rip off his shirt because he had an ugly tattoo, which is obviously bullshit. And there's pictures out there that show him without a tattoo after the point where he should have had it if that had been the real story. So to have... Like for him to be holding on to this teeny bit of maybe integrity like you're describing and having his best buddy trying to save his butt by digging in worse. Just stop talking, Carlos. Yeah. Totally sucks. So uh, Rob Manfred was asked what he thought of the whole apology and he said it was unsuccessful. (laughs) I thought that's a very diplomatic way to talk about it. So Dusty Baker, who I love, is trying to go on the offensive and, you know, a lot of players, a lot of pitchers, for instance, on other teams who are talking about this are implying that they're going to drill some batters or that they could drill batters if they wanted to. Right. And Dusty Baker is is concerned because that's incredibly dangerous. People can get seriously hurt right. if that happens. And he's referring to it as premeditated retaliation. He wants the league to get in front of that, to like put warnings out there and say, this is not going to be tolerated. And of course, there's this running joke online now that if you know a pitcher beans a, a Houston batter, they'll be suspended for that, even though the Houston batter cheated for one, maybe more seasons and had no repercussions whatsoever. And then you're hearing from players on other teams that used to be part of the 2017 Astros. So like Marvin Gonzalez of the Twins was interviewed, and he basically took responsibility for what had happened and expressed regret for what happened and said, yep, I sure did profit from that. I mean, yes, I did. And he kind of came clean with it. And he said, yes, it was wrong. And he now has the situation where the twins just picked up Kenta Maeda and Rich Hill, Dodgers pitchers from the 2017 World Series. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be his teammates. So he said, I'm going to have to have conversations with them privately because we're on the same team now. The the whole thing is honestly scary. I mean, it's going to be this huge shadow over the whole season. Everybody's going to wonder what happens when the Astros come to town. And it's really ugly. And, And, you know, about that part with Manfred not punishing the players, I saw something this morning where he said basically that it wasn't necessary because of what's happening now. Like he was sort of saying, like, who would want to have to go through what these guys are going through now? But what that is doing, that's like, you know, vigilante law. That's like saying, like, oh, let's not, you know, have a penal system and just let the crowd punish the the so violator. I, right? So I hadn't I hadn't seen that part yet. What I had seen that he said was you you can't it's you can't really like decide who gets punished among the players because of these varying levels of guilt, mm-hmm. but also the collective bargaining agreement and the union 
would have something to say about that. So it it's one of those things that, you know, because of is this a top down thing where these players sort of forced to do it, like the union might take that position. Yeah. And so that's going to be a whole other and yet another can of worms. That was one of the reasons. But he also gave the players immunity to speak so that so and that's that's what Carlos Correa kept saying. You can't once you give us immunity, you can't take it away. So basically, y'all are stuck with this. Let's move forward. Okay, so we we will not suspend you, but boy, we'd like you to be sincere in your apologies. Yeah, we sure would. So we've been we've asked like, what about the kids? What do you tell the kids? Well, there's two California-based little leagues so far that you know how little leagues often take major league team names as mm-hmm. their their team names. The two of them had Astros, and they no longer have Astros. That is super sad. I think that's a good idea. It's like you know what I we care more about you and 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 how we bring you up, our children who play baseball, and we're not going to give you names of cheaters right now. One last thing, talking about pitchers and their reactions. I think we've talked a lot before about uh, Sean Doolittle, and he is just so well-spoken, and his defensive pitchers basically saying that uh, lives have been ruined because of this. Like, there are guys who who had their one shot in relief and got lit up, and their their careers are done. And one of those guys is Blue Jays' former relief pitcher, Mike Bolsinger, who is suing them for for ruining his career because he's out of the big leagues at this point because it was one of those times where there was definite evidence of excessive trash can use right he got lit up for like four home runs in one part of yeah. one inning in relief and that was one of those games that our, our the, the guy online who had a lot of time on his hands who sort of plotted out all the use of trash cans mm-hmm. it was the game that had the heaviest use of the banging of the trash cans and he got lit up in part of one inning and ruined his career yeah, you know, I didn't write down the details, but part of the money that he's asking is is to be donated. So I yep. will definitely give you the link for that article so that you guys can know better than me where that money's going to go. All right, have we gotten all the shit out of the way at this point? Can we have happy talk? Happy talk. Let's talk about we're some gonna boys. Ha- we're going to have a happy show now. We've got our boys coming. Every week we spotlight each of us pick one player per team uh, we can't pick the same guy because they're special. We call them our baseball boyfriends, and they're cool on the field, but there's something fun to talk about off the field. So we're going to do that now, which is lots of fun. And so this week we have the A's. So we reached out to Jeff at Two Strike Noise, who's our favorite A's fan friend, and he gave us a ton of info. So thank you so much, Jeff. And I am actually really psyched to check into the A's this year. They look fun, especially on the defensive end. They really do. And defense is sexy, and we're going to prove it. Yeah, the, the last thing I'll say before I introduce my dude is that last week I talked about Jorge Mateo because he was playing in the Dominican League and he's a, he's probably going to be on the A's this season, but there's a little bit of a doubt because he's out of options and there's competition for second base. So the first problem I had with him is he might not be playing and it's generally good to have a boyfriend who plays so that my fantasy team will do better. But also he was, when he was in the minors, which very recently, he was suspended for two weeks when he was in the minors under the Yankee system because apparently he mouthed off uh, about not being brought up and he missed the Futures game. So I didn't know whether that was a good reason to keep him because he mouthed off to Yankees executives or if this... (laughs) Because we endorsed that. Because I kind of endorsed that. But then I thought that you'd give me a little bit of crap about that. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go with one of Jeff's picks. I mean, question authority, but you know. But don't say fuck you to authority. Sometimes you got it. Sometimes you got it. Sometimes you got it. Okay, never mind. All right. But you know what? I picked a nice guy. I picked kind of the nicest guy. And, you know, I was looking into some of the other guys and I thought... I, we can't overlook Stephen Piscotty 
because we talked about him last year. He's a hometown hero. He's in right field, 29 years old. And he is was drafted originally by the Dodgers out of high school, but he went to high school in Pleasanton, California, which is only a half an hour away from Oakland Coliseum. So he's a lifelong A's fan. He went to Stanford instead of going with the Dodgers. So smart guy. We like that. While he was at Stanford, he still played in the summer leagues. He played in Alaska 2010. And in 2011, in my beloved Cape Cod, he got the batting title for hitting 349. And at that point, he was drafted by the Cardinals after his junior year, 2012. And another little personal connection for me is that he was drafted by the Cards on an extra pick that they got to make up for losing Pujols, who's my Angels boyfriend for this year. So... I just like a little bit of synergy when I talk about boyfriends and talk about the smarts. I thought that you would like this. He finished his degree in the off season. So even though he was drafted out of his junior year in 2014, he finished his degree in atmosphere and energy engineering. So no slouch. This is totally like a guy right. you would have picked. Yeah, this is like a, you know, we're going to stop climate change as soon as I'm done with, with baseball. Don't Ex- worry. Exactly. I got this. That's totally. He's, okay. he's focused on alternative en- energy. Solar and wind power. So, yeah, good guy. Yeah. Um, his rookie year in 2015, he played 63 games. But when he came up, he had four home runs in his first four days. And then he played wow. in the NLDS against the Cubs and got three home runs as a rookie in the NLDS. Nice. So it's a pretty good start there. 2016, he had two grand slams in the season, including one off of our beloved Mad Max of the Nationals. And uh, just to put that into perspective, only 17 players that season had multiple grand slams. He got the Heart and Hustle Award, which is like MLB's version of the Baseball Boyfriend Award. I'd like to say that they took after us, right? Even though they probably came up with it first. Um, 2017, he missed a lot of time due to both injuries and his mom was diagnosed with ALS in May. Um, So he was in for 107 games, but only made two errors in that time. So talk about sexy defense. His fielding percentage was 998. In the offseason, and bless the Cardinals for doing this, he asked to be traded to Oakland to be near his mom. And so he was traded. And he continued his sexy defense in 2018 with three errors, 989 fielding. He was batting really well in April, in the beginning of the season, 294. Um, and his mom died May 6th, mm. unfortunately, about a, pretty much exactly a year after she was di- diagnosed. Um, he did not bat as well in May, but then Even after his mom's death, he came back and went on to have a personal record season in home runs. He had 26 home runs and 86 RBI. What's interesting for me for that other sort of like personal connection is when he came back after his mom's death, it was at Fenway Park and he hit a home run over the Green Monster, which is one of those like majestic things to see and just a way to come back. And he talked about... uh, that he tapped his chest, I guess, going to, to around home plate, which was sort of his mom's sign when she was very sick to say that you're in my heart mm-hmm. thinking of you. So that's what he does to think of his mom. He not only did the home run over the green monster, but he caught a foul ball hit by Mookie Betts and leapt into the stands, which is not generally a very safe thing to do in Fenway Park. He happened to leap right in front of like the one A's fan who was there. <laughs> like when you see the video, there's an A's dude right there. It's just like all very cosmic, just made a stellar catch. 
Um, and when he was back in Oakland for the first time, he got a single in his first at bat. So he and his dad have really taken over to promote research for ALS. Um, they started the ALS Cure Project, which funds research. And this past winter meetings, they were benefited from an auction that players um, gave stuff to for ALS research. And the A's uh, great organization matched $50,000 after his mom's death. And players around the league directly contributed. And he actually mentioned both Hugh Darvish and John Lester as giving a big chunk of money. Uh, 2019, he also missed a lot of time. He had melanoma in May. Luckily, they caught it early. It was taken care of, but he missed a little, few games there. And then he had a right knee sprain sliding into second in July, an ankle sprain sliding into second in August. He ended up missing the wild card because of just sort of the related uh, effects of these injuries. But he still had the sexy defense in 2019 and had a perfect fielding record of 1.000. So I think that this year could be just a continually awesome year. He's at his home team. He's got his family there. He's doing good things. And so um, I'm happy with the Stephen Piscotti pick. Thank you, Jeff. So Jeff had a lot of good recommendations for, for A's guys, but I knew all along that I wanted Matt Chapman I had him picked out as my starting third baseman for my fantasy league ever since I broke up with Anthony Rendon. Oh, wow. So I had to go with That's Chappie. That's some serious planning. Yeah, I had to go with Chappie. So he's 26, plays third base for the A's. He's from Victorville, California. That's in Orange County. He went to the same high school as Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado was a senior shortstop at El Toro High School when Chappie was a tiny little sophomore backing him up. And he says, my arm got stronger just trying to keep up with him. So he really did learn a lot, even in high school, from Nolan Arenado, how to play, how to work hard. He said, no one works harder than Nolan Arenado, and now that's what I do. So that was pretty cool. He did come in. Chappie came in as a freshman, 5'5", barely 100 pounds. Wow. And his coach said he looked like a mini big leaguer. Like he had the look. Like everything he did looked like a big leaguer, but only like, honey, I shrunk the kid's size, <laughs> right? By the time he graduated, he was six foot tall and, you know, 190 pounds. And like he had kind of come into his like, this is my man playing baseball thing as opposed to my small person playing baseball thing. And his high school coach still has both Nolan Arenado and his family and Matt Chapman and his family over periodically, like for holiday parties and things like that. And he said, it's hard to believe they're better people than they are players. That must be amazing to right? have been a high school coach for both right? of them. So um, Chappie went to Cal State Fullerton, and this is going to be important throughout. So remember that. For Players Weekend, he usually wears Chappie on his jersey. But this past year, he wore Hurtado to honor a college teammate from Cal State Fullerton, who died of bone cancer. Oh my God. And what Chappie said was, you know, this teammate always wanted to play in the big leagues and he never made it onto the big league field. So this is my way of bringing him onto the field. Wow. So already like good guy, right? Um, Matt Chapman was drafted in the first round by the A's in 2014 for a $1.75 million signing bonus. They wanted him bad. He debuted in June of 2017, and boy, is his defense sexy. He leads Major League Baseball with 79 defensive runs saved over the last three years. He's fourth in war over the last two seasons behind only Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and Alex Bregman. He, he comes in next above 
Yelly and Belly. That's a really good company. So yeah, so he's solid. And he's a little bit, you know, under the radar. I mean, I think playing for the A's will do that. Yeah. You don't get quite the press, quite the like shiny, look, look shiny thing as you do um, in, say, Los Angeles or New York, for instance. He was an all-star this past year, 2019. He has two gold gloves, two platinum gloves. Twice he was the defensive player of the year at third base. And in 2018, he was the overall defensive player. This is like the the Wilson's uh, Defensive Player of the Year Awards. If you remember at the All-Star break, he replaced Christian Yelich in the home run derby. He had less than 24 hours notice. Yelich had a back issue and said, I got to save it for the game. So they invited Matt Chapman to come and play. And his dad pitched to him. Remember we were watching this? I remember this? that. I and love we're, that. And they were like, oh, this is really sweet. But oh, my God, why is your dad pitching to you? But his dad was pitching oh, to him. Oh, great. He remember? didn't do it well. <laughs> right. Because But his dad pitched <laughs> Sorry, him folks. when he was a little kid. And they talked about it. When he was a little kid, his dad said, you know, one day, you know, if you're ever in the home uh, run, run derby. Like, it was his dream come true. Yeah, so he so, had to. So I think. And also, he, he, was, he was up against Vlad Jr. Yeah. So, you know, Vlad Jr. hit 29 home runs in the first round. There's no way he was going to beat that. But yeah, his dad definitely needed more practice. I and, bet. But Maybe you know what? But they had okay. a moment. But they mm-hmm. had a moment. And that was the thing. You know, that yeah. that was enough that he got to make his dad's dream come true, even though, oh, my God, talk about unluck of the draw, being up against Vlad Jr. that year in the home run derby, right? So Matt Olson, my boyfriend from last year, and my new boyfriend, Matt Chapman, are pretty outgoing, friendly guys in the clubhouse. And usually when the rookies come at spring training, they kind of keep their head down and keep to themselves. And they're probably scared to death, right? Apparently, the Mats and some other people are super outgoing and try to get everybody like going and talking and getting into the part of the community. So they're referred to as the welcome mats. That's totally adorable. <laughs> oh, wait, I get to drink. You get, oh. That is adorable. Oh, it is adorable. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We're going to drink anyway because we can. Mm-hmm. He's a team DJ. Matt Joyce, when, um, when, another Matt. Another Matt. When Matt Chapman was a rookie, nicknamed him DJ Rookie and gave him the reins and said, you're in charge of the music. And apparently his taste is so wide ranging. There's Fleetwood Mac and there's Snoop Dogg and there's actually things that the kids today listen to. So I, was gonna this, say, I wouldn't like, even know what names to say. There's like this whole range of things. And so he's still in charge of that. Um, he also apparently is a super nice guy and just like gives players a gift, like puts a bottle of wine in their locker or like just like does nice things for people because he's just a good guy. Uh, one thing that our friend um, Two Strike Noise Jeff pointed out was that there's this bromance between Matt Chapman and and Chris Davis. So I paid a little bit more attention to that than I would have ordinarily. So thanks, Jeff. Because that was your original is boyfriend. Right, right. Right. And so here's what I learned was so Chris Davis also went to Cal State Fullerton, but he went, you know, years before Chapman did. So at the first spring training that um, Chappie was invited to, he introduced himself to Chris Davis and said, hey, I too, and I also went to Cal State Fullerton, and your poster's up in the locker room. Oh. Isn't that cool? That's cool. And so, so KD says, hey, you know, this, guy, this guy's got something special going on. And so he, um, so Chris Davis and a bench coach with the A's who also went to Cal State Fullerton took him out to a very nice restaurant. Much nicer than a restaurant that he would have ever gone to before or probably could have afforded to go to at the time and kind of became his mentor, right? Kind of like show him and started showing him like the big league ropes. But also Chapman helps him because Chris Davis is pretty introverted. 
and and as welcome at right for instance really helps chris davis come out of his shell and like be like participate more in the social stuff other than nice. he would have ordinarily so it kind of seems to be working both ways and um uh, chris davis said i'd want to be matt chapman which i thought was pretty sweet so just just to give a shout out to the A's one more thing that they've been the one time wild card for the past two years. So we're thinking that with these boyfriends, maybe they'll get a little bit further this year. Yeah, it'd know. be fun to watch. It'd that's for fun. sure. Yeah. Also, gotta love the Cardinals. That's our National League team of the week, and I'm going with Colton Wong, who's another 29 year old second base, and he's really one of the few at this point really solidly performing Cardinals. And 2018 was their off year, and and I know that Wong was one of the better cards la- that year, but last year was pretty much of a breakout, and he is in the final year of a five year extension. And he has been very clear in saying that he would like to be with the Cardinals for his whole career. And he said, I would love for it to end that way. And the cards are actually known for this strategy for growing and keeping players and doing long-term signings during spring training. The so, Cardinal way. We talked about that in a vocabulary lesson a few weeks ago. The Cardinal way. And and that's good to have a, a motto, right? And a, and a way of, of acting, believing it's pretty solid. They're they're investing in their players. This is something that fans really like. And it seems like Colton Wong fits right in with that. So we're going to watch him through spring training and see what happens. He's from Hawaii. So I figure I should have some sort of field trip in my near future to go see his place of birth, right? Shouldn't I can that, help you with be that. Like, I'll carry your bags. I would love to do that. His father was a baseball player. He played at USC and in the minors for two years, but he wanted to go back to Hawaii to raise a family. So he coached baseball in Hawaii, and he sort of wrapped his schedule around his kids so that he could be there to support their baseball. Um, uh, not only Colton, but his younger brother is uh, right now minor league. He's, I think he's in the Durham Bulls now. At least he was last year. He was an all-star in 2018. And his sister, Kiani, plays softball. So they've got this sports family. Um, Colton did turn down the twins out of high school in 2008 and went to University of Hawaii. And their team is the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Get I just thought that was like a great name. That. Yeah. I love that. And I love to listen how he talks about his home state of Hawaii in a very sort of spiritual way and very connected to indigenous culture there. He, um, and I'll get to that in a little bit when we talk about the volcano relief. But he also played in Cape Cod. So I love it when I hear about people going to Cape Cod like I did when I was little. And then he wait, was, wait, you played in the Cape Cod? League? I didn't play. But, well, I okay. played in the Cape Cod sand. Okay. <laughs> I splashed in the water. Yeah, but I didn't play in the Cape Cod League. All right, we're going to have to take a sip of something. To... No, because then beer will come out of my nose. Right. <laughs> but in 2011, he was the first round draft pick for the Cardinals. So he was, he was definitely wanted. Um, he played in the Futures game in 2012 and 2013 and did so well that he made the postseason roster. And this is another really cool personal thing, and I'm not going to talk about playing in this field, because his debut was in the 2013 World Series game against the Boston Red Sox. And we all know that that ended happy, meaning that my Red Sox won. But 
He did get a hit. He came in as a defensive sub in game three. But the problem is uh, in game four, and this is something that haunted him, he made the last out of the game in a very sloppy way. He was picked off by Uehara with Carlos Beltran at the plate. So apparently, super close call. He's picked off. Um, Apparently, that's the only time that that has ever happened to end a World Series game. Somebody being picked off. Oh, wow. So, That's, yeah, you don't want that record. Yeah, that absolutely um, stuck with him. And he worked really hard in the offseason to be better. So he used that to give him um, motivation. You know, some people could just sort of fold after something that shitty, but he didn't. He sort of did the opposite. And he had even more um, to deal with overcoming because his mom had cancer at that time. And she was able to make it to watch him in that World Series game. But she died that December. So he was dealing with the offseason with trying to pick up his skills, deal with family issues. He had a strong girlfriend, Alyssa Knoll, who was University of Hawaii track and field champion. And she trained him on his base running to get him. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yes. So he made it up for opening day in 2014. Didn't have a stellar very beginning in April, so he was sent down for a minute. But he came back up with enough time to be National League Rookie of the Month for May. And since then, cool. it's been on a steady increase. Uh, 2019, like I said, banner year. He got gold glove for the first time, and he is now listed as number nine of the top 10 second base people in Major League Baseball. He's from the Big Island, Hilo, near the volcano Kilauea. So when the volcano exploded in May 2018, he immediately jumped into action in using his position, his notoriety, to raise money for for Hawaii. And he talked about how close he actually lived to the volcano, that he had relatives who could like smell the sulfur kind of thing. Um, He started a GoFundMe right away and in less than a month had raised $78,000. But at that point, some other athletes from Hawaii and he combined forces. So he closed the GoFundMe after $78,000 was raised so that they could start this program called Heroes for Hawaii through the Hawaii Community Foundation. And there were six players altogether from the NFL, NBA, and UFC. And even the Cardinals jumped in on the effort and had a game with special tickets where 10 of the $15 ticket price went to the foundation. And he said, being from the Big Island of Hawaii, using this platform and trying to raise money for these people to restart their lives again and the process to get them into new homes was a no-brainer. He said, we love to spread the aloha spirit. So I'm pretty cool about the aloha spirit. And one thing that he tried to do to keep that aloha spirit alive was to wear the Hawaiian sleeve, the Hawaiian flag um, arm sleeve. Was he allowed to? He was not. And and what's shitty about this is this is exactly what we talked about with Wilson Contreras. It was exactly the same time when Contreras was told to remove his Venezuelan sleeve. Wong was also told, and it was right after the, the fucking explosion, so the timing really sucked. He was told that he had to remove his Hawaiian sleeve. The huge irony here is we had also talked about that on the Cardinals was my ex-boyfriend Ozuna who got to keep his bright yellow Nike sleeve because it was Nike. Because it was Nike. Right. And and Wong could not keep his Telling Hawaiian. Telling you to anything and you can get away with it. It's crazy. He's try- I think he's trying to sort of get his um, 
his revenge a little bit now with his uh, golden glove. He has a Hawaiian-style glove that he's planning to use this year. <laughs> I don't know if this is kosher. It's bright blue, red, and gold, and it says Hawaiian-style um, stitched into Does it. Does it have, like, hibiscus flowers on it? Because that would be freaking awesome. No, it's very bright. It's definitely bright. So I hope he gets to hang on to it. Me too. To do something completely different, I picked a third baseman named Matt as my Cardinals boyfriend. You got a lot of Matts. I do a lot of third baseman too. So my backup third baseman apparently looks like Matt gotta be the salsa carpenter who is <laughs> who is 34 years old. So much more about the salsa in just a minute. Matt Carpenter is from Galveston, Texas. His dad played college ball and was a high school coach for a very long time, might still be, took teams to a lot of championships, including one national championship, and has a high school field named after him, which is pretty cool. His mom played softball. A lot of ball players in that family. When he was in high school, he was given a framed poster of his baseball hero, Lance Berkman. Hold that thought. That comes into play later. You got a poster thing going today, too. I do have a poster thing going today. So Matt Carpenter played at Texas Christian University with Jake Arrieta. How about that? Who we later hit home runs off of, which I like. <laughs> he had. Now, his his college career was not your typical college career. He had a little bit of adversity here. When he was a junior, he had Tommy John surgery as a junior in college. And so he was a two-year red shirt. Look, that came up two weeks in a row. Do you remember what that is? Yeah, that's when you you can't play your freshman year, so your sophomore year counts as your freshman year for sports. Yeah, so, so right? it doesn't... It doesn't specifically have to be freshman year, but it does put off your eligibility. Okay. In his case, his surgery was in junior year. So he was he was a redshirt junior two years oh, later. It counts for any that. year. It could be any year. So I'm you're learning. redshirted. That just kind of puts off your eligibility till later. Okay. So at draft time, he was a lot older than everybody else who was up for the draft, who were more regulation-aged college mm-hmm. juniors. So he was drafted, but not till the 13th round by the Cardinals in 2009 and only got a $1,000 signing bonus because he was that much older and had Tommy already had Tommy John surgery. So he wasn't a great risk at the time. But as you mentioned before, the Cardinal way is in play here because he was drafted in 2009 and it's 2020 and he is still in the Cardinals organization. Yeah. The Cardinals like that. He debuted in June of 2011. That was the year the Cards won the World Series. Even though he only played seven games that year, he still got a World Series ring, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's nice. He's a three-time Heart and Hustle or Boyfriend Award winner. Well, he's old, so it's lots of time to be a good boyfriend. Three-time All-Star, one-time Silver Slugger. Here's a fun fact about being that Silver Slugger. He doesn't wear batting gloves. He may be the only one. There's very few, if he's not the only one, that don't wear batting gloves. And I guess once he played ball in a very cold place and actually did finally give up and put on a batting glove, <laughs> mainly because he was cold. I want to spend more time talking about the cool things he does that aren't his stats because he's been around for so long. You probably already know about Matt Carpenter. In 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit the Houston area, right? Remember, um, Matt's from Galveston. He's a Texas boy. So he pledged $10,000 for every home run that he would hit the rest of the season from that point on. And this is interesting because you mentioned the cards were matching um, Colton Wong's yeah. fundraising. They also said, okay, we'll match that. We'll we'll also donate $10,000 for every home run. So did Adam Wainwright and so did Adam Dunn. So for every home run he hit for the rest of the well season. Done. that <laughs> Get it? Yes, I do. Okay. That's another 
40, that's a $40,000 per home run. That's going to go to Hurricane Harvey relief, right? So he, um, there were six home runs that he hit from that point on. So that's $60,000 he personally donated to Hurricane Harvey relief. And if my math is right, times the four, you know, the, the, all the matches, that's about $24,000 just from pledges for hitting home runs the rest of the season, which is pretty cool. So he's pals with Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright says, yeah, my kids and I went to Matt Carpenter's backyard and we planted a salsa garden. Right. We planted some veggies that you can make salsa with. And in 2018, Matt started bringing the salsa that he'd make at home into the clubhouse and he started hitting. Right. There was magic in the salsa. He worked with a local grocer to bottle the salsa and the, the Buena Mojo salsa from his garden was earmarked as a fundraiser for the Cardinals care uh, like charities. Right. Which which work with um, with youth in the in the. Um, st louis area it also sprung out the the it's got to be the salsa t-shirts came out from there because he's hitting he's bringing salsa in the clubhouse they're all having salsa they're all hitting they're having a time right and so that became a t-shirt and the t-shirt then was a fundraiser for a local children's hospital which was pretty cool and i think i might want to find one of these because it's got to be a salsa is a pretty awesome t-shirt to have right so many levels of cool there They played this past year, the Cards played in the Mexico series against the Reds. So while he was in Mexico, he filmed himself with a chef in a restaurant in Monterey making a very special salsa for the Mexican series. Extra spicy. It's Well, it's possibly so, but you can watch the video and you too can make the Mexican series um, Matt uh, Matt Carpenter salsa. Oh, I want to see that. You absolutely can. Um, He had... In 2018, he was in the top 10 for voting for MVP. He had a career best season in every category whatsoever. So before the 2019 season started, he signed a two-year, $39 million contract and then slumped. He had a freaking terrible 2019. Got better near the end. But he had two separate injuries. So he was out for a little while, two separate times. And also in between, couldn't hit. He was doing so poorly. He apologized to his coaches and the front office. In the offseason, he started working really hard. He, went, he had to fix this. He had to fix this. What's wrong? Remember Lance Berkman from the poster before? Uh-huh. So he and, he and Lance are friends, right? They both live in Texas. They played together briefly on the Cardinals. Lance approached him and said, what the hell's wrong with your swing? Let's work on this. Nice. So Matt said, I invited him to my ranch because Matt Carpenter has got a ranch. And he stayed with him for a week. And they hit every single day and tried to fix the problem. And this could have worked. This may work because Lance Berkman was, in fact, the Cards' comeback player of the year in 2011. So Matt Carpenter is kind of due for a comeback, and he's going into spring training expecting to compete for his job. He doesn't think that his third base is really his for the taking because of how bad his year huh. was last year. So he's working hard for it. He's like, I'm going to fight for this. He he's got all, all this personal motivation is working for him. He's married to Mackenzie, who was his high school sweetheart. And remember that poster that he had when he was in high school? Mackenzie's the one that gave it to him. Oh, full circle. Let's talk about guys not wearing shirts. Sure. Talking to, is this another poster thing? Um, it, I probably will be. Someone's probably made a poster of the shirtless Mets. So pitchers and catchers reported this week. Yay, life is so good because huh. pitchers and, and catchers reported. The Mets are a little bit hilarious right now. Noah Syndergaard is kind of like Captain Kirk. He'll just find a way to take his shirt off 
right? There's a lot of instances of Noah Syndergaard not wearing a shirt. So the pitchers and catchers who reported this week for the Mets spring training camp said they were going to kind of yeah, give him a little bit of crap. So he walked out for, for practice and they were all doing their stretches and their calisthenics shirtless. They thought maybe we're giving him shit. He thought, this is only encouraging me to do more of this. So he tried to steal their shirts. That's good. So yay. So happy happiness is the shirtless Mets. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of Brian Dozier and how he was shirtless pretty much always, but especially with the World Series celebrations for the Nationals, he's still unsigned. Maybe he should be going with the Mets. Maybe he should, because clearly they're his shirtless people. Yeah. And and speaking of shirtless partying, uh, Pete Alonso said that he wants to win. The, he's so focused on winning the World Series because he wants to be drunk as hell celebrating. And I can totally get behind that. That's your guy. I can, too. I can, too. I don't want them to win the World Series because I want the Nats to repeat. But if it's the Mets, I will very happily get drunk as hell with Pete Alonso. I'll drink to that. Cheers. A little something to drink about, not a lot. We've been following the minor league issues, and we don't have enough time to do this justice, but they're getting a teeny pay raise, pay raise just a bit. So it's between 30-something percent and 70-something percent overall, but the rookies, short season folks, are going from $290 a week. They were making $290 a week, $290 Nobody week. can live on that. No. Now they'll make $400. Class A goes from $290 to $500. Double A from $350 to $600. Triple A from $502 to $700. So they're, they're all sounding like big jumps, but still, they're only played for the season. They're not played for, for paid for paid, but yeah, they're yeah. only paid. Uh, yeah, this drink is going well. They're only paid for the season, not for training. There's no deal on working conditions. You know, those are still pretty shitty, and the majority end up still below the poverty line. So worth mentioning, not worth being too uh, complimentary about. Uh, minor league baseball has written back to major league baseball saying, "Thanks, do better." Yeah, they really need to, and do better without cutting teams. You can afford it. Rob Manfred, here he comes again, proposed some changes to how playoffs work, that if they are accepted, they wouldn't go into effect until 2022. And I'm going to come out on the side of pro on these. I think I'm in the minority, but I'm convinced that there's a lot here that could work. There is a lot of knee-jerk reaction to anything Rob Manfred says is much, much it must be bad because it usually is. That's for sure. I think this is actually kind of good. Let me run right, through briefly. Me. Okay. Well, you know, I, I believe you can make up your own mind, but I hope you come over to my side at the dark so we have cookies. Um, <laughs> the playoff, the, the universe of playoffs would have seven teams instead of five in each league. And the wild card would be determined by a three-game series, right? So it's making... The wild card, not a one-game playoff, and it's involving more teams to determine who's going to be the wild card. So more time in playoffs. Right. So here's what happens. You have seven teams, which are the three teams that each won the divisions. There's three divisions in each league. Mm -hmm. So each of those division-winning teams plus the next four based on their record. So they could be all AL Central. For instance, I mean, they could they could be lumped in one place because okay. that part's going to be based on record. So already you're including more teams that would have just missed otherwise, right? Here's where it gets weird, and I kind of like it. It's weird though. The first team for this this wild card round, the first seed, the the best record of the three divi- division winners really gets a buy. 
They don't have to play in this wild card round. All the other teams do. What MLB wants to do is have basically a reality show, a a TV selection show, which I think is kind of weird, but I think it could have some interesting results. Remember, Mm. we're playing to millennials now. We're playing to millennials who aren't going to baseball games. What would happen is the second seed would pick who they want to play between the fifth, sixth, and seventh seeds, right? What happens when you do that? You're picking the team you think you're going to beat, and that pisses off that team in that city, and that makes it an interesting competition right away, right? Then the third seeded team picks from the other two that are left, and then the fourth seeded team plays whoever's left, right? So those teams all have a three-game playoff, best of three series, and then higher seed hosts all three games. So it matters. Your record matters because you get to host this thing. You get to be the home base. And from there on, the rest is the same. So you've added extra teams and you've increased the number of playoff games that are going to happen. So here's what that does. That adds more teams. So more teams have an incentive to compete rather than tank. There was a lot of intentional tanking this year that pissed off a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we can't compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and the Nats and the Astros. So screw it. Right. We are going to like get rid of our guys. We're going to have another rebuilding year. We're not going to spend any money on anybody and we're just going to ride it out. And no one's going to come to our ballpark and we're going to lose audience, but we don't care because we're going to save money and get under the luxury tax. This keeps more teams in the hunt for longer. It keeps more fans interested in their home team for longer because they have a better chance to go somewhere. September games will matter. Remember this past September? It's like, oh, yay, you may know my Cleveland team's in town to you know play in my nationals. It's going to be fun, even though it doesn't matter a damn for Cleveland. They right. don't. Nothing's going to change for them. Maybe it would. One of the arguments against this is, oh, well, you're going to have all these teams that have losing records. And they could win the whole thing. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Okay. Well, the math has been done. Over the past eight years, I think only two, maybe three teams total would have made the playoffs with losing records in eight years. That's not very many. Yeah. I think that's worth it. And I think people's records, teams' records may change because more teams will be more competitive for longer. More TV, more series means more money kind of for everybody. Players are a part of this too, right? Players, More players have a chance to compete for playoff berths, which means more money. So it's not just more money in the pockets of owners, but it's more money in the pockets of players. And it's also the availability of events that people can watch that are different than just watching another single baseball game. These are more games that matter that can be televised for people to watch that matter. The last thing that I'm going to say that convinces me this is a generally good idea is every team in this in this um, proposal may play every other team. So instead of the Nats playing the Marlins 4,000 times and playing the Mets 4,000 times, we might get to see Mike Trout. It's a lot more interleague play than, I mean, hugely amount, a lot more. You could, we could see everybody. We could check off all of our boyfriends. Yeah, that, that, that be could be cool. So there's a lot of pluses. There are a lot of pluses. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of minuses, but I'm in it for the plus. I think it's worth yeah. exploring. I think people are just like, at this point, they just want Manfred to leave everything the fuck alone. Just like back off, stop messing with it because there are so many other little pieces in play. But I think you've got some convincing arguments. So you should be, you should be a spokesperson. 
You know what I want? I want more girls playing baseball. Can you help me with that? So real quick, MLB Grit is just wrapping up right now, which was a five-city tour with tryouts for girls to participate in the upcoming first Girls Baseball Elite Development Invitational, which is going to be a five-day camp in Vero Beach, Florida at the beginning of July. So the deal is that MLB is touring in these five cities, and they're wrapping up in New York right now or yesterday, something like that to get girls to to try out for this opportunity to have highly intense instruction, which is supposed to be on the level of like a U.S. Olympic team, like the USA softball Olympic team to prepare for international competition. So there's a lot of questions about you need a lot more. Like, so if you're going to prepare them for international competition, you got to support that women's international team and things like that. But damn it, it's a start, right? And I believe U.S. national women players were part of the coaching yes. staff. For, for MLB Grit. Yes, they are. Yeah. So it's growing. It's growing. And, and we'll put a link to the article about it and a huge shout out to DC Girls Baseball for sending some girls and an even bigger shout out to Paloma, the lefty pitcher who is quoted there in the article. So yay, Girls Baseball. This week, this week, while pitchers and catchers are doing their things and people are apologizing right and left, we have to do some boy, boyfriend research with the twins and the Nationals. Oh, my God. The Nationals already. Uh, yeah. Who am I going to pick? It's a mystery. Who are you? Are you going to have a keeper? Are you going to have somebody new? We I just have, don't know. I, I I think I know. Do uh, you but, know? But okay. y'all will have to stay tuned to find out. This is fascinating to me. So I can't wait till till next week. And how soon till everybody else? Till, well, opening day. Tell me when opening day is. Opening day. According to my phone here, it says it's March 26th, which is from the time of recording, 38 days, 6 hours, and 57 minutes and 54 seconds and counting down rapidly. So 38 days times 17 apologies per day. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> yep. While you're sorting out the apologies and planning out where you're going to watch the opening day games from, please take a listen to some past episodes. Tell your friends about us. If you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about some baseball, leave a review or a rating about what you hear. Maybe follow us on social media. Can you help us with that potty mouth? Yeah. Chat with us on Twitter at NCIB podcast or on Facebook and Instagram at No Crying in B-Ball. Check out those past eps at www.nocryinginbball.com. Until then, say goodnight, potty mouth. Good night, potty mouth.